you may or may not remember this, but when we first started this series moving through the book of Philippians, I started with an illustration about the royal standard. The royal standard is the official flag of the monarch of England. It's a separate flag from the Union Jack, what we typically associate with, uh, with the UK. It's its own unique flag. And according to the official website for the royal family, we have the following text. The royal standard represents the sovereign in the United Kingdom. The royal standard is flown when the queen is in residence in one of the royal palaces, on the queen's car, on official journeys, and on aircraft when the aircraft is on the ground. The royal standard is flown only when the sovereign is present. If the Union Jack is flying above Buckingham Palace instead of the standard, the queen is not in residence. Unlike the Union flag, the royal standard is never flown at half-mast, even after the death of a monarch, because there is always a sovereign on the throne. Always a sovereign on the throne. There's a Scottish minister who once said that joy is the flag flown from the castle of our heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag which is flown in the castle of our heart when the king is in residence there. You know, as we've moved through this book of Philippians, we have seen this relentless theme that Paul has been presenting for us, the theme of rejoicing, the theme of joy, unparalleled joy. Despite the reality that the Philippian church was a suffering church, despite the reality that Paul himself was in prison, he was incarcerated, he was not free to move about, Yet there is still this approach and there is still this focus and this emphasis on joy. Paul says he doesn't know what will come from his incarceration. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed or if he is going to be released. Yet he remains joyful and desires that we do so as well. As we walk this earthly journey, we have joy that is available to us. Until we see the face, like just, just like what we sung about, until we see His face, we can live lives of joy even when the road is hard because there is divine joy available for our earthly journey. This is our last message in the book of Philippians. This, this is going to conclude our time through this book. And so what I hope to do through this sermon today is kind of just summarize where we've been, what we've seen, catching the main themes and the main thrust of the entire book before concluding with the last two verses that we have yet to examine. I want us to see, tie everything together, all the, all the things that we have seen through this book, the overview that helps us see how we navigate life in such a way that causes us to walk with joy even when times are difficult. And what I hope that we will see as we move through this is that there are two primary stimulators for joy that Paul has presented for us as he walks this difficult earthly life. And the first stimulator for joy is reflecting upon the blood-bought bonds that we have with others. And the second is through the pursuit of knowing 
Jesus Christ. But first we see that there is joy in our blood-bought bonds. And again, we're going to do an overview of the themes of the book of Philippians. So I'm taking us back to Philippians chapter 1, where we see that these, these bonds that we have with other believers in Jesus Christ, and that these are bonds forged in gospel fire. Back in chapter 1, Paul has been describing his relationship to the Philippians and how it causes him joy to be walking this earth with them. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And skip down to verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says these individuals, they are partners with him in the gospel. They have become partakers with him, not only in his, in his trials, not only in his sufferings, but also in the defense of the gospel. They have been active in gospel proclamation and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul rejoices. And as a result, he has a love for the Philippians that is unmatched by any other earthly relationship. This is a love that is forged through gospel fire, forged through mutual labor for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember growing up as a baseball fan, watching the the Cubs play, and there was one particular summer that they were off to a particularly poor start to the season. They were losing a lot of games, and there came a point where there were were some frustrations with the team. The team really wasn't gelling together as a team. But there was a moment when they were facing another team, and it seemed as though the pitcher for the other team intentionally hit several of the Cubs players. And one of the players took exception to that, and he said, all right, this, this ends now. And he, he essentially caused a fight. Right, there was a little bit of a, of a brawl. You know, the, the benches cleared. Everybody came out. There was a little tussle on the field. And sometimes we can look at moments like that as being negative things. But what happened in that moment was a turning point for that team. It was a turning point for that team because all of a sudden, this wasn't just now a ragtag group of, of misfits that were just kind of lumped together and they just they were on the same team and they really weren't making the best of it. No, all of a sudden, here they were as a team striving against um, a common enemy, so to speak, where they were united together against a common combatant. They knew in that moment, hey, you know what? This other guy on my team here, We may not have always gotten along, but I know he's got my back, and I have his. And in that moment, a greater bond was formed in that fight than they could have been manufactured through any other means. They became a team, and they actually turned that season around, and they ended up making the playoffs that year. And they can look back at that moment as being one of the turning points. Oftentimes, our military veterans experience a camaraderie that can only be experienced if having served alongside one another in the armed forces. No one else knows what it's like and can empathize with someone like someone who has been in the exact same experience. 
Right? They fought alongside one another, fought against a common enemy, brothers in arms together. And such is what it is for God's people. Now, obviously, we're not, we're not fighting a physical war, right? We're not carrying swords or guns or baseball bats or anything of that nature. But we are engaged in a spiritual war. And it is a real battle. It is a real warfare. This is a true war. And when we go to spiritual war against the forces of darkness, when we engage in gospel ministry alongside one another, when we labor in prayer for and with one another, there is a bond that is, bo- that is, there is, a bond that is formed that is greater than any other bond that can be experienced upon this earth between brothers and sisters laboring together for the same gospel even if we don't always get along or, or see eye to eye on everything, when we know that we have the same end in view, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we know that, that we can go to the Lord in prayer and we can do battle on our knees together, that this is my sister, this is my brother, and we are on the same team here. There's a bond that is formed, and that is what Paul had experienced with the Philippian church. It's not uncommon for individuals that may be a part of a church and maybe they feel like, you know, I just don't really feel like I'm developing the relationships I want within the church or I'm not getting the help I want from the community or, or what have you. But I think we need to ask a question that we are. Are we doing ministry with one another? Are we, are we praying for and with one another? Those relationships don't just, just happen. Like we actually have to put an effort into those things and to care for one another and do ministry with and for and alongside of one another. The deepest bonds are formed through gospel ministry with, for, and alongside one another. This is why Paul speaks of the, of the Philippians in such tender language. Look in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That tenderness is there. It's, this is a bond that has been formed and And Paul has this intense love and care for his brothers and sisters in Christ. So these are precious bonds. And because they are precious bonds, Paul wants them to be preserved. These are bonds worth preserving. The bond forged in gospel fire is worth preserving. Well, how do we preserve them? If, if a bond exists and there's something that might threaten that bond, well, how do we go about preserving it? Well, Paul gives us the answer, and he discusses this in a variety of places, but look at a couple. Uh, they're preserved through fighting for unity. Gospel bonds are preserved through fighting for unity. At the end of chapter 1, Paul writes this in verse 27 and 28. He says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Because I want you to be unified here. You've got a common cause. You've got a common aim. You've got a common goal before you. Strive for that. Standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing the same direction. Striving for unity, for the faith 
of the gospel. Paul recognizes the fact that we are in a spiritual war, and as a result, we need our brothers and sisters. We can't afford things to just, to let things that are really of no real significance, we can't afford to let those things cause unnecessary divisions within the body. Of course, there are times when when issues come up that it, it is appropriate for us to divide from one another, right? If, if we get into heresy, right, those are appropriate moments for challenge and for correction, if necessary, division. But when we're not talking about those primary matters, there are, we need to be active and, and vigilant so that we do not let unnecessary divisions crop up over things that are of no real consequence and significance. We fight for unity. Our bonds are preserved through unity. But such unity requires humility. And this is what Paul goes on to say in, in chapter 2. Where he says that we must preserve, uh, uh, seek to preserve our bonds through unity. He also pushes us towards humility. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of a full accord and of one mind. There's the unity aspect. And how is this done? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we want unity within the church, it's going to take humility. It's going to take humility. If we always insist upon our own way, if we're always jockeying for position or trying to maneuver ourselves into favorable positions, letting the the politics of church overtake us and, and tempt us, if we're only concerned about what we want, what we think is best, what we think is the right direction for whatever ministry or whatever aspect of things is going on, We are acting from pride. We are not acting in deference to others as Paul commands us within this text. We see a command from Paul in chapter 4 of two individuals who had some kind of dispute of some kind. In Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3, Paul says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says we've got to strive for unity here. Right? We need to agree in the Lord. I don't, I don't know what, again, we talked about this when we went through that passage, about we don't know what the issue was between Iodia and Syntyche. But whatever it is, Paul says, okay, you know what? You need to agree in the Lord. You need to come together. You guys have worked side by side for the gospel. And that is more important than whatever squabble you might be experiencing right now. So we have to swallow our own pride to accomplish this level of humility leading to unity. This is a little bit of a silly illustration, but on Friday night we were watching Star Wars The Clone Wars with our kids. There's this clone squad. They were in training for battle, but they were having trouble because they weren't working it together, but they were 
They all had their own ideas for how they were supposed to accomplish the mission, and so they were trying to do things their own way, and so they kept failing the test and failing what they were supposed to do time and time again. It wasn't until they set aside their own pride that they learned how to work together to one another, to work in unity as brothers in arms, side by side for the gospel. Well, it wasn't for the gospel in that story, but side by side for a common end that they were able to accomplish their mission and fulfill their task. So when we are of the same mind, when we are working towards the same end, and that is the furtherance of the gospel for the glory of God, when we are working that way, willing to swallow our own pride, And we will forge these gospel bonds, bonds that are worth preserving. Not only are they worth preserving, but they are also worth propagating. Our bonds are worth propagating. This means that that we want to see similar bonds that we experience with one another. When we are within the body of Christ and and we love one another, we enjoy fellowship with one another, it it is good and it is a sweet and wonderful thing. We want others to experience that too. We want others to know the love of Christ. We want others to to hear the gospel of Christ, to believe the good news. So we want to see these bonds propagated amongst others. The Philippians had their lives changed by the gospel, and they wanted the same thing to happen for others. This is why they supported Paul. That's a big reason why Paul is writing this letter, to thank them for their financial support of the mission of, Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were partners in the gospel, partakers of the defense and the confirmation of the gospel of Christ. So the Philippians wanted others to hear the good news. Paul wanted others to hear the good news. And so they were united together for this task. And the Philippians supported Paul financially to see these bonds propagated, to see the gospel to go forth, to see disciples made, followers of Christ developed, more bonds built and forged in gospel fire. We spent time looking at the financial support that the Philippians gave to Paul uh, for the purpose of the spread of the gospel. We, We spent time on that last week, so we won't belabor the point here. But when we experience the love of Christ and when we discover the joy of being in a healthy church, that's worth propagating. That's worth seeking to reproduce in others. It's worth investing in to see others exposed to the gospel so that they may experience the same joy. So we see through this this whole book as Paul has been speaking with the Philippians and that close relationship that he has with them, the blood-bought bonds that come through mutual gospel labor, bonds forged in gospel fire, bonds worth preserving and worth propagating, that there is joy in our fellowship with one another. The second main thrust for joy in this book of Philippians is the joy of of knowing Christ, the joy of knowing Christ. When it comes to to faith in Christ, of course, we place our our trust in Him for our salvation, believing that what He accomplished on the cross is for you and it is for me, and we believe in that by faith, and we trust that the promises that are true of the gospel are true in our lives. And truly, it is through knowing Christ, the the joy of knowing Christ, that is the means through which our 
our bonds are formed with one another. Only those who know Christ share in those bonds. Well, how does knowing Christ bring us joy? There is joy in knowing Christ. Well, how do we see that in the book of Philippians? We're going to take us back to chapter 1, where we see that there is joy in knowing that He is at work. There is joy in knowing that He is at work. In the opening of the letter, as Paul is still speaking about the Philippians and his thankfulness for them, he writes this. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's confident expectation right there. That what has begun in their lives, when they believed in the gospel of Christ, when their hearts were changed, they were given new life. That Christ began something new within them, and He's not going to just stop at the beginning. No, He's going to carry it through. That work will be completed. God is not finished with us yet. He started a good work when He opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, and He's going to finish that work. There is joy in knowing that He is at work. And Paul's going to go on to say in, in chapter 2, this is verses 13, uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then he goes on to say in verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is at work within you. He who began a good work will complete it. There is joy in knowing, yes, you know what, I, I know I'm experiencing trouble right now. I'm frustrated by this, this sin that is in my life that I've been trying to get rid of and I just can't seem to shake it. What's going on here? Paul says, God's not finished with you yet. God can continue to work within you. He can continue to mold you and shake you and He will do that. He will complete the work that He has begun. And there's joy in knowing that Christ is at work. Because of this reality, he is also confident that you know, Christ is at work within the individual believer's life and his personal sanctification. But Christ is also at work within the various circumstances of life. Right, the various things going on around us. Even when we find ourselves in situations that we would consider to be less than ideal, we can still rejoice because God is at work. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 12, where Paul has been talking about how he is in prison. And again, Paul didn't volunteer to go to jail, right? That wasn't what happened. He didn't say, yep, I, I'll sign up for that, please. He didn't ask for the persecution. But he does say in Philippians 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. None of us asks for our trials. And nobody, nobody seeks after our own heart, the hardships that we experience in life. But when we trust what God has said, and if we can get ourselves to look at things from a divine perspective, then there we can walk through those things with joy because we know that God is doing something behind the scenes. We not be able to see 
may not be able to see all of what that is. We may not be able to know all the details of what God is doing. We don't know how God exactly is bringing this about for our good and His glory. But we do know the character of our God. Amen? We know what God has said and what God has promised. And so we can trust that that is true. And in the life of Paul and in this moment, Paul, Paul got to see a little bit about what God was doing. God, God allowed the curtain to get pulled back a little bit for Paul to see into that and say, Ah, you know what? I'd rather not be in jail, but because I'm here, the gospel is going to people that it never would have gone to before. And so I rejoice that God is at work even in my negative, undesirable circumstances. He trusts in God knowing that God is at work. Paul doesn't even know if he's going to live to tell about his experiences. As he's sitting in prison, he says, I, I may live, I may die, I don't know. But in either case, whatever might happen, he's determined to honor Christ. He says as much in verse 20 of chapter 1. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever circumstances my Lord brings me through, whatever difficult road I have to walk, I am determined that Christ will be honored in my body. I will glorify Him in my body. Even if that means I die, I'm at peace with that. Even if that means I suffer horribly at the hands of those who reject Christ, even if that means I have to walk through this this season of uncertainty or pain, I'm trusting that God is at work and I can rejoice and rest and be determined that I will honor Christ in my body. There is joy in knowing that God is at work. Second, there is joy in knowing the sacrifice of Christ. Joy in knowing His sacrifice. And there may be no more passage in all the Scriptures that is more beautiful and more glorious talking about what Christ did than Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. As Paul desires us to live lives of unity and humility, he gives us the example of Jesus Christ to follow after. And it is a beautiful picture Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Knowing the sacrifice of Christ brings us joy Because we know of His great love for us. We see it on display in His sacrifice. Knowing the sacrifice of Christ brings us joy because we know that there's now life that is possible to live through Him. 
He gives us eternal life. He gives us the ability to walk and to follow after His ways. That is now possible because of the sacrifice. And there is joy in knowing the sacrifice of Christ because we know that whatever may come in this world, we know who wins in the end. We know that Jesus Christ is Lord and everyone will acknowledge that fact. Everyone in heaven and on earth. They will all acknowledge. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is because of His sacrifice that He will be exalted. Paul takes uh, takes joy in knowing the sacrifice of Christ because it is in knowing the sacrifice of Christ that, that we know His salvation. And that brings us into Philippians chapter 3. There's joy in knowing his salvation. Paul describes what his life was like before he came to faith in Christ. He was a very enviable position. The best education, the best heritage, the best, the most desirable position, skilled, educated under the law, under Gamaliel, all the greatest things that any Jew could ever hope to have. Paul had it all. And yet he says that he was willing to set all of that aside for the sake of knowing Christ. Christ and His salvation. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul says it's worth trading everything that you thought was of value to you. Everything you thought you had is worth trading all of that to know Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection. Nothing is better than knowing Christ. There is no greater thing. Knowing Christ is everything. Through this knowledge of Christ, He gains the salvation. He gains a righteousness that is not His own. He he always tried to strive after keeping the law, but we know that righteousness cannot be produced from the law. It's striving after wind. Now he has a righteousness that he could never produce. It was given to him. The theological word is imputation. It was imputed to him. It was credited to his account. The righteousness of Christ. That depends not on keeping the law, but depends on faith in the gospel. As a result, now he knows salvation. He knows Christ. He knows the the power of Christ's resurrection. Even if that means sharing in the sufferings of Christ, he says, yeah, I'll take that suffering because now I know Christ. I know His resurrection. And there is joy in knowing the salvation of Christ. And Paul knows he's not perfect. Right, even as he's experienced these things, now he has the righteousness of Christ. He's, he's not perfect experientially just yet, and he, but he presses on to know Christ all the more. 
and that he may live according to his ways all the more. So down in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul looks upward. Paul looks upward knowing that his citizenship is in heaven and his Savior that he has come to know he's coming back. That's what he says in verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables us even, enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. There's joy in knowing the salvation of our God and knowing the promises that come with that. Not only promises for eternal life and promises for for the things that that we need as we walk this earth, but promises of the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ is going to return and He will come back. One of the promises that we do have is, is peace even as we walk this earth. The joy of knowing His peace. As a result of these things, the result of the, the, knowing the sacrifice of Christ, knowing the salvation of Christ, knowing that Christ is at work within, within our lives, even through difficult times, this can lead us to a, to a place of peace that surpasses all understanding. Because we know that the Lord is near, and we don't have to be anxious about anything, but we can go to the Savior, the one who is at work, and we can pour out our hearts to Him in prayer because we have this promise. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, what you have heard and learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There is joy in knowing Christ. There is joy in trusting His work. There is joy in resting in the salvation of Christ that comes through faith in His sacrifice. And there is joy in walking this earthly road with others who have experienced the same joy of the salvation that comes in Christ. Seeking to proclaim the same gospel that others too might partake of this same joy. And that does bring us now to the close of this letter, the last Three verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. As Paul closes this letter, he sends his final personal greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is an intensely personal greeting. Paul is sending personal greetings. He says, every saint, he says, first of all, I want you to greet every saint for me. All those who are amongst your midst when you read this letter, greet them all for me. Like there's every single individual. The brothers who are with me greet you. 
all the saints greet you, all the ones that he is associated with, especially those of Caesar's household. So here are more saints there that have bonds forged in gospel fire. More saints who have the same goals, the same desires, the same love, the same joy in Christ. Greeting one another. And we can take comfort in this knowing that, you know, we're, we're not alone in our Christian walk. Even if we may be separated by hundreds of miles, we're not alone. For there are other saints around the world who are enduring the same things that we are enduring. Greet the saints. And finally, we have verse 23. As Paul gives his benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. The blessing from Paul. The grace that helps you see from God's perspective when things aren't going as you planned. The grace to live in unity with our brothers and sisters. The grace to know that he who began a good work will finish it. The grace to know that though we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, ultimately it is God who works within you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The grace to know that he, what he has promised to do, he will do. He has promised his peace to those who will continually come before him and pour out our hearts to him. Grace that sanctifies. Grace that strengthens grace that produces endurance. The grace of knowing that Jesus is Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want to close with the lyrics to a song by Michael Card back from the 1990s from his album Joy in the Journey. Michael Card had these words to sing. There is a joy in the journey. There is a light that we can love on the way. There is a wonder and a wildness to life and freedom to those who obey. And all those who seek it shall find it, a pardon for all who believe, hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind. To all who have been born in the Spirit, who share incarnation with Him, who belong to eternity stranded in time and weary of struggling with sin. Forget not the hope that's before you and never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light that we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom to those who obey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful book of Philippians and how we can learn that there is divine joy available for us on this earthly journey when we look at the relationships that we can form with other brothers and sisters in Christ Bonds that are forged through gospel fire. Bonds worth preserving, worth propagating. Lord, when we look upon the bonds that are only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ, only possible because we all know you and the power of your resurrection. 
I thank you for the joy that we can have, and I pray that you would help us to keep our minds fixed squarely on the things that are above. I pray that we would look unto Jesus. I pray that we would strive after knowing a Christ, forgetting the things which lie behind and straining forward to that which is above. Help us to know you. Help us to know Christ. May we always walk as people of joy. May joy be flown as the flag of our hearts to let others know that the King is in residence there. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.